It's been a tumultuous week for the civilian leadership of the Defense Department. First came the firing of Secretary Mark Esper. By the next day, his chief of staff and the undersecretaries for policy and intelligence. They've been forced out, too. For what it all means, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu spoke with retired Marine Corps Major General and Chairman of the National Defense Industrial Association, Arnold Pinaro. There are over 2 million people in the Department of Defense, not the three people that just got changed. You know, we have 1.3 million active duty personnel, 880,000 members of the Guard and Reserve, 750,000 defense civilians, and over 700,000 contractors that work directly with the Pentagon every day. So the main mission of our Department of Defense to deter and defend America's freedoms and citizens home and abroad continues to march. They have a saying in the Pentagon, Charlie Mike, continue mission, and that is occurring. Certainly, uh, when there are changes at the very top, adversaries uh, and allies can misperceive what is going on. Uh, But the chain of command is intact. President Trump is the commander in chief. That commands to the combatant commanders go through the acting secretary of defense, Mr. Miller. So there's no turmoil there. And none of our adversaries should make the mistake that just because there's a new person at the top, uh, that we aren't able to basically execute any military mission that we need. So people tend to focus on, you know, personnel changes, uh, particularly in a period where typically you don't see those kind of changes. Uh, But I would say, Uh, I personally don't see it uh, as destabilizing as some have reported it. Understand. Um, These are, of course, more in the policymaking realm than the operational realm. Realistically, how much can these three people do in in the remaining time that this administration has left from a policy perspective, if anything? So I would say it's very clear to all of us that on January 20th at 12 noon, we will have a new commander in chief and his name is Joe Biden. And anything that gets changed here in the next 60 days, most of what will be done is we be done by the president and the acting secretary of defense without the involvement of the Congress, which means the new president, if he wants to flip it back, he can certainly do that with a stroke of a pen. So I also uh, it would be unfortunate if they were to implement some policy decisions here in this short term uh, lame duck period that were not conducive to our overall national security. I certainly have no information that's going to occur, but let's say hypothetically it did occur. Those things could be turned around very quickly. For example, if they were to withdraw troops from Germany, um, I would tell the 82nd Airborne, don't unpack your duffel bag at Fort Bragg because you're going to be going right back. Um, So, again, yes, hypothetically it could happen, but again, uh, typically it does not. And even if it did, it could be turned around pretty quickly. In a normal transition period, how much of the key activity is is handled by political appointees at that level versus the civil service who is going to be the continuity? And and to what extent, if at all, do you think this complicates the transition process? Well, first of all, I would say you've got to recognize that in the Department of Defense, you have two main bodies that will continue unchanged. One is, as you mentioned, the career civil service, 750,000 of them. And in the Department of Defense, at the Office of Secretary of Defense, uh, you have a a large number. But you have the active duty military. You have the combatant commanders, and they're all relatively new, so there are no big changes coming there. You have the chairman and the vice chairman and the members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They're all relatively new, and their tenures uh, are another couple couple of years at least. So none of that's going to change. 
that's really where the transition teams um, engage really on a day-to-day basis. And the other thing I would mention is probably one of the people that the senior members of the transition team are going to want to talk to uh, are the former two former secretaries of defense, Jim Mattis and Mark Esper. Neither one of them are encumbered by the failure of the head of GSA to flip the switch and start the transition. So if it if it only drags out for another couple of weeks, I don't think it's going to be all that detrimental. Uh, Kath Hicks, who's leading the Biden transition team, highly experienced, strong leader with a lot of good people. And they're doing a lot right now without being able to get into the physical spaces of the Pentagon. That's a really interesting point. I mean, the fact that Esper was dismissed makes it a lot easier for Kath Hicks to talk with him if he's inclined to do so. Yeah. And I mean, and he's a good government guy. I can guarantee you should the Biden team, and I believe they will, I, I, it would be inconceivable that they didn't, at the Cat Hicks or higher level, reach out to Mark Esper. He's going to be very cooperative and very helpful, as would Jim Mattis, as would anybody else that has things to bear. I mean, um, we go through these, you know, it's not that often that you go from, you know, one party to the other in terms of a transition. Most of the time, you're either in the second term of a reelected president um, or you're at the end of an eight-year term of a president. And so um, this one is, is different, but the Biden team appears to me, Ted Kaufman was Biden's administrative assistant when I worked in the Senate for Senator Nunn, and they overlapped 24 years. He's a good government guy. He wrote the Transition Act. Uh, they're pretty cool, calm, and collected right now. So uh, I don't see any panic uh, on, the, on the president-elect team at all. I want to do just one more beat on the on the leadership shakeup, because I know you're something of a student of the Vacancies Act and, and DOD leadership secession issues. I, I think there's at least a non-frivolous argument that there's a conflict between the Vacancies Act and Title 10 and that Deputy Secretary Norquist is actually properly the acting secretary once Esper departed. Do you have a view on whether that's really a live question or, or, or whether it's something that matters? It just, just, it just in terms of the fact that there is a question about who is properly the acting secretary. Well, I would say it does matter. And in 1986, when we wrote the Goldwater-Nichols Act, and I was the staff director of the committee, and we wanted to enhance civilian control of the military, we put a provision in that said, in the absence uh, of the Secretary of Defense, the Deputy Secretary of Defense shall be the acting secretary of defense and able to exercise all the statutory powers of the secretary because we did not want the vacancy act to be used. We wanted to make sure that the person would be someone that had gone through the Senate Armed Services Committee confirmation process, would be up to speed on everything that was going on. And I wish I'd have been smarter when we wrote that law because the Justice Department, way before this administration, as well as White House counsels, have opined over the years that the Vacancy Act takes precedence over Title 10 because unless you in the title specifically said it takes precedence over the Vacancy Act, uh, it does not. So the president correctly used the Vacancy Act legally, whether it was a good idea or not, I'll leave that to others. So I think next year in the Senate Armed Services Committee, we need to fix it so that the Vacancy Act cannot be used in the future where you can just bring somebody in that from the outside I mean, he could have brought anybody in that was confirmed. He could have brought somebody from HHS. He could have picked a GS-15 or higher that had been in the building for 90 days on the day the vacancy occurred and put them in. So we need to fix that. But, But the way he did it follows the Vacancy Act. And unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough in 1986 
to, to, to see that. But it's clear to you that that was at least congressional intent at the time in 86 was for Title 10 to take take precedence? Absolutely. No question about it. We, we, we thought about that. And we also we did not want because it was enhancing civilian control of the military. Technically, he could have put an active duty military in. So we, we thought we had prohibited that. Now, the, the, the point is the modern Vacancy Act passed after 86. So, you know, we should have spotted it and gone back in and amended our provision. Uh, I certainly, as an individual, uh, not somebody with any authority or anything, I'm certainly going to be talking to the Armed Services Committee next year about fixing this. Retired Marine Corps Major General Arnold Panaro, now the CEO of the Panaro Group and chairman of the National Defense Industrial Association, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.